Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, May 13th, 2019. On today's episode, we're taking a break from talking about the latest film and TV news to discuss last night's instantly divisive episode of Game of Thrones. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined today by Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. And a staff writer at Nerdist, Lindsay Romaine. Hello. Lindsay, thanks for joining us. I know that you're a big Game of Thrones fan, and uh, the reason that you're here is because I sort of fall, I guess, in, in between the two points of you and Jacob on various ends of the spectrum in terms of Game of Thrones episodes last night. But but before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about why we're here and our, our Game of Thrones fandom overall. Jacob, do you want to set the timber of this conversation for us? Yeah, I want to have this brief round about before we begin the actual conversation, because when I wrote my very negative review of uh, The Long Night a few weeks ago, Everyone on, on Twitter started accusing me of hating Game of Thrones and having an axe to grind when it's actually the most important uh, pop culture item of my entire life. I've been reading the books for over a decade. I've been writing about the show since season one. This has been a third of my life has been dedicated to understanding, exploring, and loving Game of Thrones. And while I'm mixed on the most recent seasons, I feel I'm mostly warm on season eight outside of that uh, – season three episode. So I feel like whenever we have conversations, we need to make sure, like, we need to remind people sometimes that we get this passionate because we love the hell out of this stuff. And Lindsay, even though you're at Nerdist these days, you used to write a lot for Slash Film. And your first, the first time we, we I published you was when you pitched a Game of Thrones story. Yeah, yeah. I've been writing about the show since season two. I have largely the same relationship with it as you, which is that you know, even when I'm down on it, it's a show I love so much. I can kind of like thank my career for Game of Thrones. Um, so yeah, I've been watching it. I've read all of the books. I'm a huge fan. I just tend to kind of have a slightly more negative read on the later seasons. And I think it's because I'm such a big fan that it breaks my heart even more that I don't really love what's going on right now. I guess I'm somewhere in the middle in terms of that stuff as well. You guys have been covering it since the early days. I didn't catch up with the show until I think probably about halfway through maybe halfway through its second season. Um, but then I've just been, you know, a devout follower. I've read all the books and everything since then. Um, and I, weirdly, I think I've really enjoyed what has been going on in season eight. I think, uh, I, I thought season seven was largely disastrous and I was expecting, uh, 
to react the same way to what I, what was you know another shortened season but i think i've come away because the show for me has spent so much time concentrating on its characters uh where i thought a lot of that got pushed to the side in favor of plot stuff in season seven i think i've really appreciated for the most part what they've done this season with some little qualms along the way um so I guess we've broken down this episode into a series of characters and, and moments. And I think that's a good, or last night's episode. And I think that's a good way to approach this conversation. Before so, we do that, uh, yes. I think, can you um, explain to people listening why we felt the need to cancel the regular show and do a special edition of Slash Film Daily about this episode? <laughs> How did people how did people react last night, Ben, when this episode aired? So uh, there was a lot of discussion. I'm sure even people who don't watch Game of Thrones got uh, embroiled in the arguments uh, or, or um, positions taken by various members of the fandom online last night. I mean, this is an episode where, and we're going to spoil the entire uh, episode and probably every event on the show leading up to last night's episode. So if you're listening for, to this episode in the hopes that we're not going to spoil anything, maybe tune out until you've seen it. So that's just your your fair warning here. But, uh, you know, Daenerys Tar Targaryen burned down King's Landing last night. And that is a moment that we can talk about and we will talk about here in just a minute. But I think a lot of people have had very, very strong reactions to that moment in particular and some of the other stuff that we'll talk about as well. But uh, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, it's a huge moment. It's like a, it's a moment that rattles the very foundations of Game of Thrones and, and uh, has shaken a lot of people to their core. So I think uh, it, it deserves, you know, normally we record water cooler episodes on Monday, but this is like the literal water cooler. This is what everybody's talking about. So we decided to uh, push that to later in the week to actually discuss this and, and dive in with some people who have different opinions on it. So I think that's, uh, that's where we are right now. Yeah, so, so let's get started. <laughs> yeah, so, okay, so, uh, Jacob, why don't you lead us off? We've got Varys and Tyrion here uh, as the first one of our little breakdown sections. Is there anything in particular that you wanted to address about those characters and their storylines and how they played out last night? Yeah, they killed Varys, and that was a moment where I realized I could no longer be on Team Daenerys before she murdered tens of thousands of innocent people. But uh, Varys was, has always been my guy. Ever since season one, he, he told Ned Stark, I serve the realm. And he's always been the guy out to help the little person. And even when he's scheming and backstabbing and betraying, he's always been the person who has had uh, the future of millions of people on his mind as opposed, as opposed to who's on the uh, throne next. And the scene where he's executed, I found deeply sad and moving because the moment I loved when Tyrion touches his arm and tells him it was him, and not in a little finger-esque smarmy way, but in a way of, I respect you so much. You're, you're my friend and you deserve to know that I did this. And Varys, and, his, and look in his eyes, understanding uh, why Tyrion did it and understanding that he did what he thought was right and facing his death, um, you know, in the, as stoically as he could. But, but Lindsay, um, I want, what are your thoughts on Varys and Tyrion here? Because I've always loved these two and I felt this was a sad ending, but may, maybe the right ending for Varys. But what do you think? Yeah, I've always loved them also, and that's actually, this is a round where I first started getting kind of a bad feeling about this episode for myself, which was, I guess, I've always seen Varys as someone who's both, you know, protector of the realm, but he's also very self-servicing, and a lot of times, you know, he's very occupied with surviving. I felt like he acted a little foolishly. I think his kind of road up to this moment has not tracked for me at all. Um, the way that he talked to Tyrion last episode about how 
you know, we need a man ruler and all of this stuff really backtracked everything he said about Danny last season. And I just didn't get the logical leap from how he felt then to how he feels now. There wasn't really a moment for me where I understood why he did that. And so I guess it didn't fully work for me. And it's around here where I also started to really just be disappointed in Tyrion (laughs) that he is someone who I've also always considered someone who would fight for what he believes in. And in this moment, he knows he believes in the same thing that Varys does, which is that Danny is, you know, scary. And he still kind of betrays his friend to her. I don't know. It didn't work for me. Uh, I don't hate it, though, but I don't know. It's, it's interesting because for me, and this is something that it could be a show failing and me reading between the lines, but for me, it was always a case of Varys supported the concept of Targaryen before he spent time with Danny. And once he did, I feel like, I mean, the first major interaction in the show when they're in, the, when they're in a room together is her threatening to kill him in season seven. Right. So I'm wondering if the intention was to sell Varys as being more and more concerned about her once he's in her presence. But I can understand you seeing that as a failure, uh, especially since it didn't click for you the way it did for me. But Ben, how do you fall on this? Yeah, I mean, I also love Varys, and I, I feel like um, I feel like it's his actions are justified here because he's, he knows that he's out of options. I feel like he has seen, like, the reason, and, and I don't know, this, this very well could be me making excuses for the show. So if it is, either one of you, please pipe up and let me know. But to me, it read as if, um, especially last week with Varys and Tyrion having that conversation, and Lindsay, as you alluded to him, basically talking about how we need a man to lead the Seven Kingdoms, it struck me as Daenerys was his last hope of an alternative solution to that but now that he's been up close and personal with her and and seen the way that she um seen her temperament in action he realized that maybe he's been putting his eggs in the wrong basket and i I don't necessarily think that uh i don't know Uh, to me it didn't read necessarily as him being like all right, we have to have a man. I just think he means we have to have another candidate and all of the other candidates happen to be men because Cersei isn't an option. But what do you, what do you guys make of that? I would agree with that, but he literally says uh, being a man is important to get people behind your back. So I guess if he hadn't had that very specific line, <laughs> I would maybe agree with you, but he does have that line and it feels completely opposite of I've, I've seen people like splice together scenes from last season and this season where he's just saying the complete opposite thing. <laughs> and if, if something had swayed him to the other side, I feel like I could get behind it, but it's, there's not been a lot of natural leading, leading points to that for me. Yeah. Lindsay, do you think this is a victim of the show's increased pace where they're making, uh, they're, they're, they're removing pieces of storyline that maybe they could have had in a longer season, or do you think they're rushing toward this? Or do you think this is a victim of just bad writing? I think it's a little bit of both, honestly. I think in rushing, they've had to make choices that don't always track, and they fall victim to some of that. But I do think that it's not always that hard to just, I don't know, add a couple of lines maybe that make some stuff make more sense. So I don't know exactly where I fall on that. And I have to see, I have to wait until the whole like season is done to see how I feel about the pacing there. But I think it's a little bit of bad writing. Honestly. All right. Well, let's move to Tyrion and Jamie. So that's another uh, pairing that Tyrion is involved with here. And this is uh, the scene in particular is when uh, Tyrion visits Jamie, who's been captured, and he frees him. He's, he essentially repays the uh, favor that Jamie did for him way back at the end of, what was that, season four, I think? Um, so 
we wrote, Jacob, you and I wrote about this in our review that's up at SlashFilm.com right now. You can read that. We'll link it in the show notes. But for me, their, their tearful goodbye really worked because Tyrion reminding the audience that Jamie was the only person who ever treated him like a human being when they were both children just sort of um, underlined the idea that both of these guys are sort of fundamentally opposed to cruelty. And I know that they've both done cruel things in their pasts, but I don't know. It, it, it struck me as um, both of these guys know what the end game is. They know what they know the right thing to do in this situation. Um, and, and they, it's, it's difficult to even, to even um, verbalize, but Jacob, what, what, did, what was your read on their meeting and, and how, uh, I guess there was their final meeting on, on how the show reconciled these two characters uh, for the last time. I feel like that's the, one thing that's always tied these two together is their love for one another. I mean, Tyrion loves his family. He says, he says that since the very beginning, and he loves Jamie. And and even after he's you know betrayed Cersei and killed his father, I feel like there's an unshakable bond between these two, where hidden deep down, Tyrion was this good man, this good, warm-hearted man. I think it's not a coincidence that Tyrion's bad decision-making started when he started trying to become an actively better, decent person. And whereas, uh, as we'll discuss a little bit later, Jamie fell off the wagon when it came to becoming a better person. And I feel like they both, at their core, see the person that they both want to be, even though they both struggle to reach that. And I feel like having having them have this final interaction where Tyrion wants to rescue his family from this final fate that's going to befall them was important to, to remind us that he's not a stupid man. He's, he's acting out of emotion but it's not coming out of nowhere. I, I, I do think the scene was very moving, if on the nose, and I can't wait for Lindsay to tell me why I'm incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I was just bracing myself this whole time because I don't want to just, like, crap over everything that you guys are saying because I do think that the emotions of this scene are very well done, and I do think that, you know, these are characters who have this vulnerability for each other and really love each other. So I think their their final moments together, you know, the emotion was well. But I have to say that this scene was easily my least favorite scene in all of Game of Thrones. Wow, <laughs> really? Why is that? Why is that? It's because the this is, to me, where uh, Jamie's arc is completely assassinated, and it has nothing to do with Cersei. I actually don't really mind that he came back for Cersei. We can talk about that more later, but the line that he has where he says that he doesn't care about the people of King's Landing is in complete contrast to literally everything we know about Jamie, which is that he killed the Mad King to save all of King's Landing and lived with the title Oathbreaker for his entire life, knowing that he did the right thing, and that's why he had that title and he was okay with that. To me, that's the part of Jamie that's so interesting, is that he's able to like do these deeds of good, and he has this goodness inside of him, but he also has this dark Cersei thing kind of pulling him back. So for him to just like flippantly act like he never cared about the people of King's Landing when he has that scene with Brienne back in what season three, where he, you know, emotionally cries about how he saved everybody, it just really, really upsets me. Jamie's my favorite character, and that was just heartbreaking for me, honestly. Well, yeah, that's a, a very strong argument, and uh, it's very difficult to argue with. So I think I was re reacting more to the emotions, especially in the performances, and that's one of the things that I've seen a lot of people say, even people who seem to hate this season, everybody seems to agree that the performances across the board have really been on fire. Um, and I think Peter Dinklage and Nikolai Krostor-Waldo did especially really great work here, 
except for that line which yeah as as you bring that up as you mentioned that now i'm just sort of flashing back through the show and, and how it's characterized jamie and how that particular line doesn't really track there jacob do you have any sort of rebuttal to that or any way that you're able to uh, reconcile that line with what you know of jamie my knee-jerk reaction is that jamie is posturing but at the same time it th- that line is a mistake uh and, and she's right uh, Lindsay is right here, and I wish that line wasn't there because I think everything else I've seen really does play for me. And I think those two have such strong chemistry, and I, and I and I buy the decisions they're both making in these moments. Jamie's desire to get to Cersei and Tyrion's, Tyrion's desire to save his brother are both decisions I understand to my core. And now that Lindsay's reminding me of this line, I'm not going to be able to shake it. It's driving me crazy. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I really, I agree with you guys. I do like the rest of the scene, but I just can't, I think maybe if my Jamie love wasn't so strong, I wouldn't have quite that negative a reaction, but it just really, I just felt my heart like break in half when that happened. Yeah. Thinking back on it, it's such, it, I mean, I think you used the word flippant. It is such a flippant line. It's almost like a, like a joke response to something that Tyrion said. And it would be so easy for him to just not say that. And the posturing thing, maybe if there was a crowd around, but it's just the two of them. There's no reason for him to put any walls up. Uh, yeah, that's a that's right. a big blunder, I think. Um, all right, let, let's get into the big, most divisive point of this entire episode, which is the war crimes of Daenerys Targaryen and what she does to King's Landing. Uh, Lindsay, I want to start with you. What did you make of... Uh, Danny's decision here, did you think that the show, um, I guess, uh, not accurately conveyed, but uh, effectively conveyed her uh, her turn to the Mad Queen? And do you think there was enough ground, you know, enough um, uh, track laid there for this decision to make sense for you? Uh, no. <laughs> for me, this doesn't work really at all. It's not so much the decision that she goes mad because I do agree with people that there has been, you know, a lot of stuff kind of hinted at. Uh, She's expressed the desire to burn cities before and had to be kind of talking back. I guess for me, it's kind of a a balancing act of, I don't know that her going full, like apocalyptic really tracks with everything that's happened. I'm more concerned about it from a larger perspective of what the show is saying about how women with power rule and how the second that women are given power they let their emotions control it uh which is something that i think sends sends a message that i don't personally really enjoy or appreciate but i'm interested to hear what you guys think about this we can get back into that more and i had the same conversation uh with i watched game of thrones with the same group i've been watching with for a decade and some women in my group felt the same way you did and some did not and i feel very unqualified to comment on it because as a, as a white male you know, uh, my my initial knee-jerk reaction was, oh, Game of Thrones lets his women be villains too. That's great, which is not maybe the healthiest reaction and maybe the most astute one. And I'm trying to pay attention and listen to why people are upset by this. Cause, because at the same time, I enjoy the concept of evil Daenerys and evil Cersei going to head-to-head so much as a character thing that my mind wasn't even thinking about the larger implications of that in a way that, you know, I'm happy to listen to and be educated about. Uh, because ultimately this did work for me because I, I like the idea that all of Daenerys's previous, you know, heroic moments, if viewed from a skewed point of view, are massacres. It's her committing genocide. It's her crucifying people and burning people to the ground and destroying cities in the name of a cause that a large portion of the population did not support. And 
the reason I've always embraced Game of Thrones, the reason why the book struck a chord with me, and Ben and I have talked about this before, I've written about before, is the concept of George R. R. Martin not writing fantasy as much as he's writing a depiction of of history in, of a fantasy world where things are messy and horrible and not and they're not messy and horrible because he wants to subvert things necessarily, but they're messy and horrible because uh, real world history and the way people fight wars and the way they win wars is is always painful and the winners write the truth. And as Napoleon Bonaparte said, history is a lie agreed upon. And I've, I'm won over by the idea that Daenerys has is you know one person's hero, one person's villain, or whatever she falls between. And for me, that is powerful and upsetting and exactly why I embraced the books before the show and why I fell in love with the show in the first place. Uh, but Ben, uh, uh, you're also a white man. But yes. uh, So I would like to hear your thoughts on this before, before I return to Lindsay, because um, I really think that Lindsay's uh, notes here are something, that, like, like I said, are n- nothing that crossed my mind and should not be disregarded. But at the same time... I got something completely different off of them, um, off this episode. But what do you think? Yeah, perhaps unsurprisingly, uh, I uh, sort of had the same initial reaction that you did, where I almost viewed this as like, maybe not quite a fully progressive decision, but like an interesting one looking at it from that angle, as in sort of what you alluded to, like, uh, oh, you know, Danny is a a flawed character who has, you know, like Jamie, Jamie is one of my favorite characters for some of the reasons that Lindsay mentioned earlier, like the idea that he can do so many different things and it all tracks and it all, it seems like, um, you know, different facets of one flawed human being. The idea that Danny would make this decision struck me as like, oh, this is just the show doing that, but for its lead female character. uh, And I am interested in seeing where it goes here. But at the same time, you have to be able to put that idea right next to the real world reality that there aren't very many women behind the scenes on the show. You've got, you know, Benioff and Weiss as the showrunners. You you have, I think, one female director over the course of the entire series who's only directed, a ha- you know, less than five episodes of the whole thing out of, what, 70-something that we're on right now. Um, and and there aren't any, I think, Vanessa Armstrong, who's like an, a, maybe a producer at one point. Hey, guys, it's Ben just coming in for a quick correction. That's Vanessa Taylor, not Vanessa Armstrong, who is a co-executive producer on the show for two seasons. Okay, back to the episode. She sort of helped shape some of the stories, but you don't really have any women in the writing, in the writer's room as well. So I think, obviously, we can... Uh, go back and forth about whether you know how the show would have been different if those decisions were made and i think the answer is everything across the board would have probably been improved not just the female characters but um lindsay what can you just tell us a little bit more more about um the burden of representation uh that that (laughs) rests on daenerys's shoulders and um and you can bring in you know any sort of metatextual elements that you want here but why did this uh, decision sort of ring false to you in that way? I guess for me, it rings false a little bit because I guess even ringing false maybe isn't the right word. It's something where on paper, I don't mind the idea that this is what happens to Danny. It's in the nuance of some of it and it's in this decision. So it's all male storytellers, as you guys said, even George Martin is a man using women to kind of do what you were saying. So doing this, the burden of having to be the villains in this moment. So it's Danny facing off against Cersei 
And that's really what this is. It's kind of a showdown between these two women. And you have to ask yourself, why did they choose women to tell this story and this, these particular parts of this story? And what is the purpose of showing both of these two women basically failing by their emotions? So it's both of these women who have been looking for power, the only women really who have been seeking power in the show. And the second that they have power, you know, Danny gives into her grief in this episode. That's kind of what Amelia Clark has been saying in the after the episodes. I don't know how much we want to bring that into it, but I can see that in the show too. You know, she's clearly upset about the loss of her dragon and about the loss of her friends. And that fuels her decision. And it just feels very irresponsible to me. I feel like a woman would have found a way to give that a little bit more nuance. I don't know specifically what I would have done, but I don't know. I think that's what I'm wrestling with here. It's interesting to hear that uh, Clark describes it as grief because all I could think about was the end of season three where she liberates Marine and is held aloft on the shoulders of all the people and they call her Misha, they call her mother. And she, this is a woman who's been told her entire life that Westeros is waiting for his liberator. They drink secret toasts to her name and she arrives here and doesn't get that. And for me, I felt less about grief and more about revenge against the people who destroyed her family and and then turned around and did not welcome her back. And to me, that is a harder truth and it's harder to take and would have taken more time to set up properly. But I think it's a more satisfying read. So I'm glad you brought that up, Jacob, because I I read that in our, I read that you wrote that in our recap and I didn't really have a place in our recap to disagree with you there, but I'm glad that we're talking about this now because I didn't really get that at all. Like I I understand how that uh, reaction would make sense. And I don't think that it's there in the show. I think if, you know, you've got Danny on Drogon's back on the gates of the city, uh, the bell rings, and she is staring at the Red Keep the whole time. If she was looking down sort of at the the people that she was about to burn and um, really, you know, uh, grappling with her decision and maybe having a look of disgust on her face or something, looking at the actual people instead of this um, symbol of of Cersei and her power... I think I would maybe be more inclined to agree with that read, but to me, it didn't really seem like Danny was punishing the people of Westeros for not greeting her and, you know, giving her the queen's welcome that she hoped. It didn't read like that to me. Lindsay, what did, what did you make about that? Yeah, I was also going to bring up that line that she has earlier in the episode where she says something like, the people of Westeros, they hate me. And I was like, do they? We haven't really seen anything besides Sansa and like the people in her council kind of questioning her. We haven't seen much proof that she's disliked. And I think that would be that would make some of this stuff more powerful to me if we had moments where she's speaking with the small folk and they sneer at her or whatever. But really, the only interactions we've seen of her with other people from my like recollection is them cheering her on after they won the battle a couple episodes ago. I just like it doesn't fully make sense to me. And also in that moment, you know, I, I feel like I haven't really heard this brought up, but something that bothers me in the episode is that after the bells ring and the city has surrendered, she looks at Cersei kind of in the tower. You get the impression that she knows where Cersei is. And instead of just like flying up to Cersei and blasting her out, she kind of zigzags around and makes a point to kill everybody leading mm-hmm. up to that. And I just, I know that she said something about, you know, leading with terror or whatever, but I just, it doesn't, the pieces don't come together for me. I don't know if I'm missing something, but uh, I don't know. And Jacob, how much of, of Danny's action do you think is attributed to John turning her away at the beginning of the yeah. episode? Cause that might be 
If, <laughs> well, Lindsay, you, you just sorry. No, 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 <laughs> uh, no. I I want you to answer that first, and then we'll go to Jacob. What did you What did you think about that? I was just. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make that. No, <laughs> that no worries. Noise. It was just kind of a a disgust of a. <laughs> it's it's kind of that stuff that shows. I think that's a really perfect example of how I think a woman might have handled this different, which is you're not just going to like set it up by like, Oh, she's spurned by her lover. And that's why she goes crazy. Like it just, it looks silly and it doesn't send a great, you know, message of how women behave when like men in their lives don't reciprocate stuff or fear them or whatever. I just, I didn't like the setup of that. I don't think you needed that scene at all. For me, once again, my male centric read, and that's why I'm so glad we asked Lindsay to be on here. Otherwise Ben and I would be talking in white male circles. Uh, <laughs> was that it was less about um, Daenerys being mad that her boyfriend was gone and more about uh, just the thousand straws breaking the dragon's back. And John is such a fucking wet blanket, man. I mean, we, we did our Debate of Thrones series on Slash Film last week where we all wrote about who or who is the best leader and who are the worst leaders. And I wrote a piece about why Jon Snow is the worst. So he's a good guy, but Jesus Christ, this guy can't, can't stand for anything. He can't stand up for anything. He can't be square with Daenerys. He can't have a conversation with her. Uh, and... I read that as all intentional of Daenerys just being done with this wet piece of shit. But, um, <laughs> but uh, I, I, did, I, I did not have the read of Daenerys being feeling spurned, which would have been a fucking mistake because I feel his, his ever, ever since this show decided to film Sansa's rape, which is a mistake by itself from Theon's point of view, I realized, oh, they don't get women at all. Even I realized that. So it's, it's always been a problem. For me, this was a case where I did not see that. It was just, for me, this was a case where John being Mr. Ineffectual didn't uh, just made a bad situation worse, but didn't cause it directly. I think if they hadn't framed that moment as romantic, it would have, I would have agreed with you there. But I think it's the fact that like in the middle of kissing her, he just like pulls away. And it just, to me, it, it reminds me of like bad movies where similar things happen. And I <laughs> yeah. just, it's more the setup of it that I didn't like. Yeah. Uh, well, let's go to something that I know that Jacob did like, which was Arya and the Hound. Um, Jacob, you wrote very kindly about this scene in our recap. Uh, was there anything you wanted to bring up here? Yeah, I think I'm, a, I'm like a broken record in this episode because I feel like everything that people are mad about are things that I enjoyed for maybe personal silly reasons. But the scene was really on the nose, but I appreciated what it said both characters, which is, first of all, um, I shed a single tear during this episode. <laughs> that was when uh, Arya calls the Hound Sandor. And first time anyone's acknowledged him as a human being in like, who knows how long, at least the course of this entire show. And the dynamic between these two, this sort of surrogate father-daughter thing has always worked for me. And the idea that the only person in the world who could have told Arya, give up on this quest of vengeance, it's not worth it, is the man who is about to go off and die on a quest of vengeance. And the only person in the world who could have convinced her was what was him. And he made the choice to save a single person during all of his years in the show, and it's her. And him saving her and her acknowledging him as a human being just clicked for me in, in a way I feel they've been building for years and years of Arya rediscovering her humanity, the, uh, Sandor rediscovering his, and in the middle of a crumbling tower being torn apart by a dragon, uh, they part ways having left a permanent impact on each other. On the nose, broad, maybe I'm sentimental, but I, I love these two to death, and this goodbye was everything I wanted from both of them. Uh, and I love that they were able to, for the first time, see Sandor as a human, as somebody who can save a life instead of take one, and Arya as a, as a you know young woman instead of a ruthless assassin, somebody who has every reason in the world to live and not to go on a suicide mission. Uh, ben, what did you think about this? 
Uh, well, I want to hear what Lindsay says first, and then and then I'll respond. <laughs> I actually agree. That I really liked the scene. Um, the only my only nitpick about it is that they waited until they were like in the middle of the burning like building to make the decision to part ways. But um, I did really like the scene. Those two have probably one of my favorite relationships on the whole show, and his moments of closure with both of the Stark girls, I think, has been really powerful. So I did actually like the stuff. The Arya stuff in this episode has been my probably my favorite. Yeah, I enjoyed it as well. I think this is another one of those uh, victims of the increased pacing, though. I feel like it would have uh, Arya's decision to actually listen to him here and and really, um, you know, take in what he's saying and internalize it and actually uh, believe him instead of it, it, I, I feel like all of that would have landed for me in maybe in a more an emotional way and also in a plot way if we had seen you know, any hint of that conversation more recently in the show. Cause the last time we saw them, the two of them were just riding to King's landing together, talking about how they're going to murder people. Like, I feel like this conversation could have been had on horseback, you know, on, on the way. And if we could have gotten Arya, you know, determined or ignoring him or something. And then him finally in this moment, really trying to impart this advice and then it landing for her. I feel like maybe something like that. And you know, I hate the idea of like, Oh, this didn't do exactly what I said or what I wanted it to do. So therefore it's wrong or it's bad or whatever. That's not what I'm trying to get at. I just, I'm trying to interrogate why this moment didn't land for me emotionally in the same way that it did for Jacob. Cause I would have loved to cry to, to have cried a single tear in this episode, but it, it didn't draw that from me. Um, and I think that may be, you know, just the fact that this season is moving so quickly may be the culprit there. But I, I guess just to keep this moving along, let's jump right into one of the next big confrontations of the episode, which is the Clegane Bowl. Finally, this is the thing that fans <laughs> have been hoping for for a long time and fantasizing about for years and years. Um, Lindsay, how did this uh, land for you as somebody who, you know, has, has steeped in, in Game of Thrones knowledge um, and has probably been seeing this uh written in the stars for a long time coming did it live up to your expectations how did you think that this moment was executed you know i'm kind of a weird outlier in that i never really cared about the clegane bowl to me there's was never really anything satisfying about it i'm just like okay so they're gonna fight and one of them's gonna die i guess like it just killing people doesn't hold much appeal to me so um it never really worked for me or was something i cared about i thought it was fine um I didn't have much expectations. I know that that's <laughs> kind of a downer answer, but I was just kind of like, okay, I knew this was going to happen. I guess it happened the best it could. I'm a little confused about how the mountain is an alive being if his brain doesn't even need to function for him to stay alive. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was. I thought it was kind of weird, but I'm I'm still kind of parsing out my feelings on that one, to be honest. Jacob, what did you think? Uh, hashtag Game Bowl hype. Um, <laughs> I, I, I dug this. I dug the. I love it whenever Game of Thrones decides to go uh, heavy metal album cover, and this was heavy metal <laughs> album cover. Uh, but what I like about this, I think that myself and a lot of people were picturing Senator Clegane riding into a public area in an arena yeah. of sorts, picking a fight and having heroic triumphant moment, when ultimately it's two brothers murdering each other in a crumbling tower with no audience and for no reason to do it beyond blind hatred. And no one's going to write songs about the Clegane brothers. They're burned. They're gone. They, they died falling off a tower in, into, into flames, you know, rightfully. And if it, if it had been a cheer-worthy moment, I think I would be down on it. But like so much of this episode, and I think uh, Miguel Sapochik directs the hell out of this episode, especially compared to The Long Night, which I think is a mess, 
is that he treats the whole thing like a tragedy, like a massacre, like a horror show. And and the hound could have walked away so easily. And the, the mountain, you know, could have protected Cersei instead of, you know, killing Kyburn in a really great moment and walking right into it. But the idea of two human beings being so bound by hate that they would rather spend their last moments attempting to destroy each other than walk away and attempt to rebuild their lives is something that I found I find so disturbing and so viscerally disturbing that it, it satisfied what I needed out of Game Bowl, if not what I thought I wanted. Yeah. I will say I really liked the kind of poetic uhness of uh, Sandor leaping into fire to kill his brother because fire is his greatest fear and that's something that is sort of shown throughout the show and in the books so him taking him out that way I thought was really cool I could have used maybe a little more like emphasis on that but I liked that aspect of it just as a, a fan yeah all right let's talk about our, our last topic here and that is Jamie and Cersei so um I want to start with Lindsay because you're, you you just said that Jamie is your favorite character. Uh, I guess let's talk a little bit about season eight as a whole. What have you made of Jamie's arc in this season? And then what did you think about his uh, his demise there at the end? Um, so I'm weirdly, honestly, kind of unbothered by this part of it. Uh, I'm not, I don't know if I feel like the pacing totally worked or if I feel like everything was totally convincing along the way, but I do like the idea of Jamie dying with Cersei and her ultimately being his addiction, really. You know, it kind of paints a really interesting narrative if you look at it that way, which someone pointed out to me, and I think that's why I've been able to process that a little bit better, is that really Cersei is like an addiction for him. You know, he's trying to make better decisions. He's trying to better himself. And at the end, he succumbs to his addiction and it's tragic and it's awful. I think it really works. I don't mind that they died in, you know, the rubble of King's Landing. That seems also pretty fitting for me. So weirdly, I actually kind of liked this ending for these characters. Jacob. I'm really glad Lindsay brought up the concept of addiction here because that's what I've been writing about for the past few weeks as well. And I think it's the, the accurate read on their relationship. He's addicted to Cersei's love. He's addicted to loving her. And, you know, he's, here's a guy who's a presenter with the hero's journey, given every opportunity to walk down that road. And he steadfastly ignores it. He steadfastly refuses to stay on the wagon because of this toxic relationship that he, he's drawn to and can't escape from. And he chooses that. And one thing that drove me crazy last week is a lot of people who I love and respect were mad that Brienne was crying over a lost boyfriend when Jamie left, which is not the case to me. I read that scene last week entirely as Jamie weeping for the man, sorry, as Brienne weeping for the man Jamie could have been and weeping because he has stumbled back into his wrong ways and has fallen into the path he was before, not because, you know, her boyfriend was gone. I think that's a disservice to Brienne and to Jamie. It's, it was tears shed over him giving up on himself. And in a weird way, Jamie died the same man he was. You know, he, he'll do the things he does for love. He pushes Brandon out of a tower. He rushes into a burning castle. It's self-destructiveness. It's, it, it is it's dangerous. It's unhealthy. And Jamie's love for Cersei is, you know, it's, it, we, the fact that it's pure, the fact that she's like the true woman he loves, the fact that it's so harmful to him makes his arc one of a grand tragedy. And I am just really you know burdened by it. I, I feel like anybody who's had an addiction of any kind you know can and hopefully understand what it's like to not be able to control that but 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 ben i feel like jamie is something we've been talking about for a little while now i think cersei gets to do in this episode in a big way too and you and i have talked offline about what an incredible and relatable villain cersei is 
Yeah, I mean, you know, she's this despicable person who is also capable of so many different types of love that are, are sort of bizarre in their own right. But she is like, to me, one of the great creations of all of Game of Thrones, you know, the books and the show. I think Lena Headey was phenomenal in this role. And um, Lindsay, I'm interested to hear because you were talking earlier about, you know, that this final battle being positioned as like a Daenerys versus Cersei kind of thing. Cersei has kind of been sidelined a little bit in this season so far because, you know, we've been concentrating on more uh, dire matters in the North. Um, what did you make of uh, of Cersei's final moment here? I know we talked about Jamie just a second ago, but but Cersei and, and I guess how she has been, how her arc has been brought to a close. I've been very disappointed with her this season. I'm not necessarily upset about the final moment because again, I like the poetic irony of, of Jamie and Cersei dying together. I do feel like they've really wasted Lena Headey this season. She hasn't really done anything. <laughs> and uh, it's hard because you want to be inside of her head a little bit more, I think, for some of this to feel more weighted. So her moment when she, you know, shows humanity in the moments before she's going to die and says, I don't want to die, I don't want to die. I could see it, you know, logically getting to that place, but I don't feel like the season did much to really establish that. If anything, she seemed pretty over being alive this whole season. So, um yeah, I don't know. It's not sitting well with me. I don't know how exactly I would have fixed it. Maybe just more time with her, but I know there's not much time to be spent <laughs> at all in this right. season. I really think the season needed to be 10 episodes. And I know that like maybe production wise, that was impossible, but I just feel like there's so many little moments that happened in earlier seasons that made the payoff to deaths like this so much more meaningful. And I, I really think this season is is missing some of that. And with her, it's especially obvious. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, Jacob, what did you make about Cersei's final moments? Uh, I, I think that just the way she sees her city burning and the way she starts to crumble, uh, it, I hate feeling empathy for Cersei Lannister. And I, I, but I love the show. I love the show. It makes me feel it. I love feeling bad for the monsters and she's such a monster and I felt so bad for her. And I look forward to feeling bad for Daenerys next week when she gets her just desserts. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> but I, I, I agree. She's underutilized this season. And I wish there was at least one more episode that was King's Landing centric that we could have maybe spent yeah. with her and Kyburn, you know, planning the, the defense and maybe getting to know, you know, what her mindset is here and understanding why she sent Bronn to go off and kill her brothers. Cause that still doesn't make sense to me. I still think Bronn's plot lines the worst damn thing this season. Uh, but we'll, we'll get to that next week. <laughs> I think Lena Headey is so incredible, and I think she does so much with so little in her scenes here. And also, she gets to one laugh of the episode when she just quietly, like, scuttles away when the Kalini <laughs> brothers stare each other down. Yes. My, my uh, entire group just burst into huge laughter because I think we all needed that laugh right there. So thanks for that final laugh, Cersei. I love you. <laughs> All right, I think uh, I think that's pretty much going to bring us to the end of this discussion. Unless anybody has any final thoughts, any closing thoughts, um, maybe uh, Jacob, you just talked about um, maybe wanting to see Danny get her just desserts. Lindsay, what what are your hopes for the finale? Is there a way that the show can sort of um, redeem itself in your eyes going forward in its final episode? Yeah, um, if Sansa rules everything, then I will love how this all turns out. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, I do kind of want that to happen because uh, Sansa's my other favorite character. But I do hope that I we didn't, I don't think we saw exactly what became of the Iron Throne. My hope is that it's done away with and that they democratize the power of Westeros and that's how this all ends. I think that's the only thing that would really work for me. I can't envision Jon on the throne. That just doesn't sit well with me at all and doesn't feel like anything he would want. 
So, yeah, I think I'm just hoping that the power is split up a little bit. Yeah. How would you feel about a Sansa-Gendry marriage on uh, the, the Unite the Kingdoms? That's always been my like pet theory for, for a couple weeks now. I um I don't hate that. I really just want Sansa to like be independent and alone. <laughs> I'm not... <laughs> I'm not like really uh, I I'm not anti like shipping or anything like that, but I do think that she hasn't seemed very occupied with like having a romantic partner, and I think just having like a powerful single woman could be really cool. Yeah. So I think I'm more Sansa slash independence than I am. Um, I just clarify. <laughs> I I like the idea of Sansa ruling Gendry being the the, the guy she tolerates because <laughs> he has Baratheon in his name. <laughs> right. I kind of just hope they do away with some of that old fashioned like we have to marry our people off for it to matter. I don't know if that's too like modern of a reading on it, so I don't know how I like expect to see that play out. But yeah. I do want to bring up one more thing before we close out because it's one thing I want to mention in our review band and I couldn't get to it. And it involves everybody's most hated character, and that's Euron Greyjoy. And oh. everybody hates how he emerges from the water at just the right time to fight Jamie. And everybody hates him. I know even the actor has like kind of quietly said he was disappointed that the, the book version of the character wasn't realized on the screen. But I, I love that he is the rare Game of Thrones character who dies happy. He <laughs> dies have, knowing that he's killed Jamie Lannister, and that to me is an incredible way to kill him. So I'll just I say mean, that much. Did he kill Jamie though, or did the falling rocks in in the he crypts mortally kill him? wounded him? Uh, uh, Euron sucks. <laughs> he sucks, but I, lo- I love hating him. I don't. I know people just hate him. But I fucking love to hate that guy. <laughs> I do kind of think like that whole scene exists just so people can't like expect Jamie to crawl out of the rubble next episode. It's like, no, he was like mortally stabbed a few times. So like, he's really dead. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> ben, right. What do you want to see? What do you want to see uh, next? Oh, I mean, God. Um, clearly we're team, we're, we're hashtag Stark sister fans. So what yes. about you? Yeah. I, I just want it to be satisfying guys. And I don't know what that means. I, I've tried really hard not to put any specific, put too much value on seeing any specific moment play out in the finale because i feel like that's the way for, you know that's the path that's paved toward disappointment um so i just want it to be emotionally resonant and i i want it to be satisfying on a narrative level and i honestly don't know if that's possible based on the decisions that they've been making lately but i liked this episode enough where i feel like there's enough potential there that they still could pull it off and then we'll be talking about the legacy of the show with this sort of asterisk next to the final two seasons, if they're able to, to sort of stick the landing. And that's that's all I really hope and, and plead for to happen, is for them to do something that resonates with me and uh, makes me cry a single tear and, and gives me, <laughs> you know, makes me think about the show uh, and maybe recontextualize some things and, um, yeah, just sends it off on a note where it feels right. And I know that's an amorphous uh, concept, and it's going to be different for everybody. But that's a thing that I really related to with the Lost finale. And, um, you mm. know, it, it just felt right to me. It felt emotional. It felt like it was doing right by its characters. And I know people hate that finale. And I know this is going to be divisive regardless of what happens. But if it can hit those beats, then I think I'll be, you know, as I was with Lost, very, very willing to forgive some of its um, valleys in favor of its peaks in the long run. Yeah, I'm more... glad you... go ahead, Lindsay. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. I was going to say one more thing too, just kind of to go off that last thing. I'm also a big fan of the Lost finale. One other thing, and I don't want to put too much expectations. Like you're saying, I don't have like a single moment that I need to see to be satisfied. I do kind of hope the show does something like kind of bananas though in the 
final moments. Like, I feel like the season finales that really stick with you are the ones where just something you are completely like, what? Whether that's like a plot, it doesn't have to be a plot point even, just like, just something. I want to like really be chewing on something as it ends. I think that would last with me. Like, you know, the lost kind of other world revelation and stuff. I think like something like that would be really cool. Yeah, definitely. Uh, All right, so before we go, Let's tell people where we can find or where they can find more of our work online. Uh, Lindsay Romaine, let's start with you. Yeah, you can find me on Nerdist or you can follow me on Twitter at Lindsay Romaine. Jacob? Uh, I am managing editing editing slash film.com every single day. And if you want more reading about Game of Thrones and HBO, I just wrote an article about how the 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 final episode ever of Veep, which aired last night, gave me the feeling that I hope Game of Thrones gives me next week. And I'll link that in the show notes. Awesome. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Pears, and you can find more about all of the stuff that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes of this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. And make sure, if you do that, to leave your name and general geographic location in your email in case we mention it on the air. Also, don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.